We are just so excited to always give away what, whatever God is putting in us. So we're grateful that you're here to meet with him this morning and just pull on whatever is spoken, whatever is released, just pull whatever is for you and just connect to the Lord in whatever you came here with. So, uh, so what we're going to be doing today is just kind of picking up where Pastor Eric left off uh, last week. Last week, uh, he was in uh, Acts chapter 6. And he talked uh, a little bit about the idea of he can't do everything. You guys remember that? That it takes all of us. So uh, we're going to kind of pick up on that theme a little bit, maybe take a little bit different direction um, as well. Uh, So we're going to be talking about um, being created for greatness. Amen. All right. Did you know you were created for greatness? Well, if you didn't, you're going to find that out today. So (laughs) don't be Uh, so excited about that. I know. I think I want to. Can we have everyone stand up? Yeah, I was just gonna. I was gonna say, let's stand up and say, "I was created for greatness." I was created for greatness. Okay, okay, we're gonna do it again. But I want you to say it like you actually mean it, even <laughs> if you're not sure yet. Just say it like you mean it. I was created for greatness. I was created for greatness. All right. Thank it. you, Jesus. This is the truth, and we're gonna find this out today. All right. So I'm going to be. Okay, uh, we're gonna actually be in cha- Acts chapter eight. So if you guys want to start uh, turning there, of course, the words will always be behind you. Uh, But I'd like to uh, kind of pray us in here. So, uh, Lord, we just thank you for uh, your word. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity uh, to be here today, to worship you, to honor you, to learn more about you. I thank you, Lord, for the work that you have already done in this place. I thank you, Lord, for the work that you will be doing in people's hearts and in their minds, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that captives are set free today, that freedom is here, and that your word is true. And Lord, we just thank you. Uh, your servants are here. Lord, we ask that you just speak forth today in Jesus' name. Amen. And everybody said? Amen. amen. <laughs> Do you know that the word amen means so be it? And it means yes. It's the yes of God. So when somebody's praying and you say amen, that means I agree with this. So be it, Lord. So amen is important. That's why why Jesus was the amen of God. He's the yes of God, the promise of God. So let's see. The scriptures that we have are actually 24 lines of scripture. So I'm not going to read them all at one time for you because I think we would probably go to sleep before we were awake. Um, But I'm going to kind of give you a synopsis of where we're at. So starting in chapter 8, Saul begins to persecute the church. So Stephen, the disciple, the apostle, is murdered. Okay, and the people basically bring him into a court, stone him to death. And it says that Saul was there and he was in hearty agreement with this going on. So then in chapter 8, after Stephen is stoned to death and beaten to death, Um, It picks up and and we see that the church begins this mass persecution. So as we flow through this, we're going to kind of see what happens with the scattering of the church and who is picking up the baton, basically, and bringing the word to the surrounding communities and what that looks like and how that manifests. So if you want to start in. All right, I'll start. So... um we put that up behind us, Acts chapter 8, verse 1. All right. Um, so 
uh, on the day a great persecution broke out, like Rihanna said, against the church of Jerusalem, and uh, all except the apostles were scattered. All except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Uh, devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentations over him. But Saul was... Um, Sorry, I had something pop up on my screen. So, <laughs> but Saul was ravaging no the church. church. <laughs> no, no text. Uh, and entering the house, uh, entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. So the two verses I want to talk about is the, the first one, which is um, the idea of all who were scattered. And all who were scattered was the church. Now, we're not talking about the, the apostles or Jesus' disciples at this point. We're talking about the church, disciples, anyone who were following were, were followers of Jesus. The, and then in verse 4, it talks about um, that those who were scattered, which is all, all uh, went on preaching the word. So that is the the great commission or the, the great thing that the church needs to do is preach the word, all right? Now, when we think about preaching uh, the word, in fact, I love uh, uh, in the Amplified Version, uh, verse 4 says, now those believers who were scattered went from place to place preaching the word. So uh, we are the church, Right when any time in the, in scripture it talks about the church, guys, that's us. We are the church, and it is our job to preach the word. Uh, Pastor Eric talked about that last week about all the things that he had to do when Mosaic started, and how now he's having to shift some of those things off. So, if it's not just Pastor Eric's or any pastor's job to preach the word. It's all of our jobs to preach the word. Now that can look multiple different ways. Um, so I'm going to kind of uh, give you some ideas of what preaching the word might look like. First of all, what the gospel is, is the good news of Jesus. Right? That, is, that is what was referred to as the gospel. And when we're talking about the good news of Jesus, we should really be talking about that to everyone, right? Teaching our kids, if you have little ones, teaching our kids who Jesus, what, what he did for us, and what that means in our life. Uh, neighbors, uh, co-workers, we should be talking to everyone about what Jesus did for us. It's our testimony that, that, that we should be talking about all the time. Uh, in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, it says, uh, Jesus says, come to me, all who are worry and burden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. I will, you will find rest in your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. So we're supposed to take on his yoke. That is part of our testimony. We live in a crazy world today, right? We all agree we live in a kind of a crazy world. I got some amen, some hands up, right? We live in a crazy world. But as we take on Jesus' yoke, our burdens become light. We do not have to take on the burdens of this world. So spreading the good news is 
is ta- is talking to people about all of those th- all of those burdens that you, that people are carrying. Give them to Jesus. Give them over and take on His burden. Maybe it's as simple as just a smile on your face, right? You're just out doing your normal day, and just giving a good smile to someone can brighten their their day, their week, their month. Um, an encouraging word. Just say something encouraging to them, something that that brings life to them. Um, here's a question that you can ask yourself. Do people feel more encouraged when they leave an interaction with you, or do they feel heavy or burdened, right? We should be encouraging the world. There is a time and a place to get real with God and to get real with people, um, but our day-to-day actions should be encouraging and bringing life. That is preaching the word. Um, As followers, we possess joy. As Jesus believers, we possess the spirit of joy. Show it. Right? I see so many Christians walk around and they're just bummed out all the time. Right? We don't have to take on that burden. We get to take on the, the, the burden, the yoke of Jesus. So joy should be a language that, that we speak. In Galatians 5, right, the fruits of the Spirit, um, ask yourself again some of these questions. Are we bringing peace to our situation and to the situation around us. When we come into a room, does the people say, wow, it's just so peaceful when you're here. It just Things just seem to work out when you come around, right? Whether that be around our Christian friends or even more so on, on our unsaved friends. Are we bringing peace? Are we showing love to one another? Are we arguing about nonsense? Or are we showing love to one another? Whether that be a face-to-face interaction or dare I say, over social media, right? What are we arguing about? Are we bringing life to, to others? Are we, gentle, are we gentle with others? Are we, are we handling people's hearts? Are we being gentle with them, right? That is preaching the word. Also, it's about generosity. Are we being generous with our time, with our talents, with our money, Are we showing God's love through the things that he has blessed us with? One of the things you'll notice is that the Lord talks about all of these things that as a Christian that we get to experience, right? The fruits of the Spirit, the the provision, and all all of the things that God promises us. These are promises that we can hold on to that are for us. But it is designed for us to experience, but even more so, it's designed for us to give away. So as we receive peace, right, we need to give that away to others. As we receive joy, we need to give away that to others. When we receive provision, we need to give that to others. That is uh, what our, that is the purpose of, of those things that the Lord gives us. And, and because we are the church, it is our job to always be spreading the good news, the gospel, to always be spreading Jesus everywhere that we go. Yeah, and I think that's great because some of us, and I know at times in my life when I would say, well, I don't have much joy right now, or I don't have much peace, or I'm not very versed in this 
uh, section of truth or I don't have a lot of wisdom. But the, really the point isn't how much that you have, but whatever that God has placed in your hand, to whatever degree that is, wisdom, love, peace, truth, a hug, a friend, whatever he has put in your hand, the point is that we are all called to give it away. Because you see, a stagnant piece of water doesn't produce life. It doesn't hold life in it because it's self-contained and it just is stewing on self. But when water is flowing, where water is flowing, there's life. So even in the things that you think, I don't have much there, give it away anyway. If you see somebody in need, give it away, even if you feel like, yeah, but I'm struggling with the same thing. Don't let that make you feel like that disqualifies you from giving out what God has put in your heart and in your spirit because you were created for greatness and you're created to give that greatness away. So if we head back to verse five, we're going to kind of see Philip gives us an example of now that we understand who is called to give out and go out and reach out, Philip's kind of giving us an example of what that looks like. So I'm going to start in verse 5 for you. It says, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. The crowds with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip, and as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing, for in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them shouting with a loud voice. I know that probably scares some of you, but that's called deliverance. (laughs) And then also many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was much rejoicing in the city. See, these are people who have been bound for centuries, their generational bondage. And now the word of the Lord is coming and the power of the spirit is coming and setting them free from the bondage of demon spirits, from sickness and infirmity, from the bondage of just prison in their mind and in their soul and in their body and in their spirit. So these people are rejoicing because they're finally experiencing freedom. But I want to focus on this compound verb here. It says that they heard and they saw. They heard the word being preached and they saw the signs of the spirit. It's really important for us to understand this thing, that the gospel, the simplicity of the gospel is two things, doctrine and power, word, truth, and power of the spirit. It is not doctrine and truth and preaching the word plus fog machines, flashing lights, petting zoos, t-shirt giveaways, car giveaways. It is doctrine, truth, plus the power of the spirit. Because the truth, when we preach the word, it breaks chains. When we preach the word, it brings freedom. And then the power of the spirit comes and is a sign that what we are preaching is actually true. Because without the power of the spirit and the changing of lives and the changing of situations, the eradicating of demonic spirits and healing of infirmities, we're just getting smarter. We're just getting more knowledge. We're just getting head knowledge of who God is. But see, when it's not manifesting in our lives in any way, there is no evidence that what is being said is true, which is why Jesus said, I have to go so that I can give you the one that's going to come after me and actually manifest this and make this real. Okay, so we see that Philip is bringing both truth and power. When Jesus spoke to the disciples in in Matthew chapter 10, I'm not sure if they'll put this up on the board, but I'll just read it for you. He said, go, and as you go, preach. 
saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I want everybody to hold up your hand. I want you to say the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This means that the kingdom of heaven is wherever you are. You carry the glory of God inside of you. You carry the divine nature inside of you. You are now a partaker of that divine nature. You're no longer in the nature of Adam, sin, curse, shame, death. You are now in the nature of the last Adam who is Christ. So as you go about to the world around you, in your family, in the people that you don't know, you are literally bringing the kingdom of heaven with you. It is at hand. And so that's why Jesus gives this next instruction in this scripture. He said, go and preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then he says, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely you give. So everything that is in you is at your disposal to give. So when you're not giving out, it is not because you don't possess it. It is not because you don't have it. Because if you've received, you can freely give it away. So do not complicate the mission of the gospel. It is not complicated. It is not all of the structures and lights and sounds and things that we make it to be. It is two things, truth and power. For example, if I, if I go about preaching that Jesus is Jehovah Rapha, he's our healer, that the word says that he went out in power and did good and went about healing all who were oppressed of the enemy, all of them. If I speak that he is a healer, that's the truth. And when I come and dare lay my hands on a sick person, I am releasing the power of the spirit to manifest healing so that the power of the spirit can be the sign that the word is true. So this is also why James tells us to be doers of the word, not just hearers. Because when we receive, we are to give. When we receive, we are to give. This is faith. So you may say, well, I don't really know much about healing or about demon slaying, hallelujah. But that's okay. You can learn more. You can exercise your faith and God can show himself worthy and prove himself worthy and holy and righteous to you as you step out and say, God, I don't know what I'm doing because it's not about me. It's about knowing who you are and I'm gonna reach my hands out, speak the truth and then dare go and pray and bring the power of the spirit. So how we bring the power of the spirit is by doing, is by stepping out, seeing a need and filling it. Not seeing a need and being like, brother, I'll pray for you tomorrow, okay? I'll be praying for you. You go and you see a need because tomorrow is not promised. So if somebody has need, we have what they need today. The answer to their prayers is locked up inside of every single one of us. So if we freely give as we have received, but we say, okay, maybe you're new to the faith, maybe you're just freshly receiving the Lord and you're like, I don't know a whole lot about healing and I'm just learning these things. So that miracles can be more than just those who go out and spread big things, like people are getting healed, people's lives are being radically changed publicly. My mom actually had a stroke a few months ago, and the process of watching her body heal itself and going through these classes to learn more about the human brain and the body and how it works, 
I am convinced more now than ever that we are a walking miracle. Absolutely, you wake up in the morning and you're breathing, it is a miracle. It is a miracle that we are all here today, this morning, because our bodies are so intricately designed. And even one little thing that's off could shut the whole thing down. That's how much of a miracle we are. So start there. If your life is a miracle, and miracles are supposed to be the sign that the word is true, then your life is a sign that what God says is true. And what I mean by that is this. If I go around preaching that Jesus changes everything, and I sing, Jesus changes everything, but I continue to live the same, behave the same, respond the same, do the same things, and there's no change in my life, where's the sign that the word is true? If I preach the word, Psalm 29, 11, and say that God gives peace to his people, but every time adversity comes, I light myself on fire, run in circles, and post about it on Facebook, where is the sign that the word is true? If I declare that the kingdom of God is power, but yet adversity comes and all I do is speak negative, that God gives life, but I just speak death all the time, That God is a God of prosperity, but yet all I speak is how awful life seems all the time. Where is the sign that the word is true? So our life, our very life, our very existence, every place we tread is proof that the word is true. Because you were created for greatness. He locked it up inside of you to give it away, to release it to the world by being who you are the divine nature that's in you, regardless of circumstances and how we feel and what things are going on. So the word of God sets us free. And when we preach the truth, we're bringing freedom. And when we step out and allow God to change us and change the world around us, that power manifested is proof that the word is true. I don't know about Amen. you guys, but I think I'm going to go sit down where you guys are, and I'll just let Rihanna keep going. Does that sound good? Oh, my goodness. So good. Um, <laughs> uh, um, uh, in chapter, uh, chapter 8, verse 8, I love this. It's a really, really short verse, but it says, uh, there was much joy in that city. And it's kind of like the end of kind of a thought, but because of what Philip was doing, he was bringing power, he was bringing tru- truth, the fruit of that, like I talked before, the fruit of that is joy. And that's really, um, that's my hope and my prayer for Mosaic, for, for Maple Grove as a whole, is that us as a community of believers, again, that we bring joy. And we see that that's exactly what happens. That is the fruit of power and the word to, uh, put together. So um, let's go on to verse 9. <clears throat> But there was a man named Solomon who had previously... Simon. Simon. I said, did I say Solomon? It's okay. I just don't want to be confused. I'm confused. Okay. I'm confused. <laughs> uh, Glory to God, we thank you for the anywhere. mercy, Lord. <laughs> it takes grace to do this. So if we can do it, you can do it. All right. Okay. Let me start over. Uh, but there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed people in Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him, 
for the, uh, from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. So what we see here is Simon had power. He had the ability to entertain. I, I think he was maybe known, I don't know, this is my own interpretation, as Simon the Entertainer. Right? He brought magic and people are amazed by all these different things that, that he could do. Uh, in fact, he even thought him, he was great, which uh, is an issue right there, right? He thought of himself as great. Um, but does that remind you of the culture that we live in today? Right? That we have, we live in this, this culture uh, that we're all just entertained. I think we're entertained to death sometimes. Right? We watch the Super Bowl and we watch Adam Levine and everyone's going crazy over all the things that's, that, that's going on there. And he's a great entertainer. Right, and he he brought power and energy to that. You know, um, last year was JT, right? JT comes in and you know some people go nuts. I mean, they just go nutty. People are screaming and crying and passing out and shaking. And it's like, what is going on here, right? So they have the ability to entertain. They bring power, but when people leave that interaction, are they changed? Right? Are they transformed? Are they better off? because they had this experience with these people than uh, had they not had that at all? No, it's just entertainment. It's the power, but it's not coupled with the truth. Verse 12 says, But when they believed Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both man and woman. Um, uh, as we know, she's pointing out the time. Uh, as we, well, as, I was trying to do it discreetly. <laughs> <laughs> you guys got no place to be, right? Um, it's my fault. I'm too long-winded. So, so as we know, baptism is an outward expression of something that has happened internally. So as Philip is bringing the word with power and healing people, he's also bringing the truth of God's word and people are being baptized. People are being changed. You see, Simon just came in and he dazzled them with magic and, and entertainment, but there's no truth that coupled with that. Philip not only performed signs and wonders, but also brought the Holy Spirit with him backed by the truth of God's word. Um, it's really those two. I mean, you see this common theme here, right? It's the truth of God's word and the power of the Holy Spirit is what changes lives, what brings transformation. It's an unstoppable force when we couple those two together. Verse 13, 13 says, Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, continued to follow Philip, seeing signs and great miracles performed, even he was amazed. Even Simon saw that not only are, are, are we seeing this power, does Philip bring this power, but he's matching it with truth and people's lives are being changed. That is preaching the word. And, and I, I think this is so important that what you're pointing out is the authentic versus the counterfeit. 
being entertained versus being transformed, that gifts entertain people. A lot of us have great gifts and they bring entertainment and they bring wow factor to places, even chills and things like that. But the anointing of God, the authentic anointing of the Holy Spirit breaks chains. It brings transformation to dark places. And that's again, where they're saying the power of evidence in your life and the power of evidence that the spirit brings into a situation is proof that the word is true. And so I think that there's just a couple things and we don't really have time to get into this, but if you are wondering, is what I'm seeing just sorcery? Is what I'm seeing authentic or is it counterfeit? The word actually gives us protocol for this. In 1 John 4, 1, it says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are true. So we are called for responsibility to know what we are listening to and what we're seeing happening and whether or not, because in this day and age, there's a whole lot of mixing. There's a whole lot of good things that seem right, but they aren't authentic power of the Holy Spirit. It's like driving a car without a license. You could do it, but it's not the right way. And so a couple of things in 1 John 4, 2, it says, does this person or this thing in your life confess Jesus Christ as Lord? If the person or the thing that you, the medium that you're using to gain power or have understanding in life for things is not professing Jesus Christ as Lord, it is not authentic. Another piece is John 7, 18 that says, who or what is the glory being brought to? So Jesus said, just like Simon did, he who speaks of himself is not of God. So if the person or the thing that you're using to gain power or use power or flow in power is bringing glory to something other than God himself, it is not authentic. It might be working and it might be feeling good, but it's not authentic. And so I encourage you to search the scriptures and make sure you test spirits. Um, But we're going to move on to what that means in, in being created for the authentic because we are created for the authentic spirit of God and we're created to bring that authentic spirit of God wherever we go. And so what we have to understand then, where does that come from? So let's start at verse 14 and I'm gonna read this real quick that after um, Philip is, you know, signs and wonders are taking place, people are being baptized. At verse 14 it says, now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, They sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Here comes the authentic power of God being released to the people. Freely they have received. Now they're going to gain the power to freely give. Okay, so we can't dig into this today because we don't have a lot of time, but they've received and now they're they're receiving the power to give. It says, for he, the Holy Spirit, had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Again, this is showing the the difference between being baptized in water for repentance and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We don't have time to dig into this, but Pastor Eric talked a little bit about this last fall. But there is a difference between being baptized and saved into the faith and being baptized in the infilling, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to be the power in your life. Okay, Um, let's see, where are we at? 17, they began laying their hands on them and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, now when Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, 
give this authority to me as well, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands might receive the Holy Spirit. So here we see, oh, I need this power. How can I get it? And then the apostles basically rebuke him and are, are just like, you better pray because with where your heart and your mind are at, you're about to go to hell because you are not in the spirit. You are not in truth. You are trying to manipulate and use witchcraft to, to use the power of God for your own purposes. Not a good place to be, pal. So what we understand from this is that the key to discipleship is not just about containing something that we can give out. It's not about doing. The key to discipleship is not just about doing what Jesus did. It's about being as he is. We cannot presume to make disciples if we first are not discipled. If that power does not live and breathe in us first, we cannot go out and make disciples and think we're going to go change the world. So the apostles are... are rebuking him because what he's trying to do is gain the result without carrying the cross. So before we do, we have to learn to be. So maybe there's a lot of things in your life right now that you're trying to do and trying to figure it out and trying to make it work. But God is just saying, you first need to be. You have to first understand that before you are a husband, a wife, a mother, a father, in your career, in your hobbies, in your passions, in your ministry, even before we are ministers, you are a son of the Father. You are a daughter of the King. That's who you are first. And if that's not where you operate first, because everything that you do in life should come out of that overflow. Everything in life that comes out of you should come out of the overflow of who you are. Not, let's try and do this so that we can prove that it's who we are but that it should come out of that overflow. It's, it reminds me of the story of Mary and Martha. And I'm sure most of us have heard this, but if you haven't, very basically put, Jesus was kind of hanging out, chillaxing, and they're having fellowship, and he's doing some teaching in their home. And Martha is busying herself with all kinds of things and making preparations and making food. And Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to him. He's teaching, he's, he's fellowshipping. And Martha starts freaking out because... Nobody's helping her, and she thinks that she's just doing everything on her own, and poor me. And so she gets rebuked, and Jesus said, Mary has chosen the better thing. Well, we have to understand that Martha was not rebuked because of the works she was doing. She was rebuked because of the heart from which she was doing it in. You see, Martha was using her works to receive affirmation instead of letting her works be the product of the affirmation of her identity in Christ. And this is what was being rebuked in her. Doing things is great. Jesus said, go, do, pray, preach, heal, cleanse, do it. Because we can't just be hearers of the word, we have to be doers. But if we are doing so that we can prove ourselves worthy of God's love or prove ourselves right in that area, we have it backwards because God will always change us from the inside out. So if there's something in your life, maybe that's why so many people say to me, I I find reading the Bible very boring. I find my prayer life is very dry. I don't know what to pray. I don't know how to do it. I'm struggling on how to keep my marriage together or my kids are walking away from the Lord. But when you busy yourself with trying to fix 
the doing and forget that you are a son or a daughter first. You're only trying to fix the fruit of what's going on from the inside out. And so we have to become disciples before we can make disciples. We have to learn to be before we do. Jesus said, follow me before he ever said, go and do. The disciples spent much time in friendship and relationship with Christ before they went out and brought the power of God anywhere they are. So as we wrap it up here, I'm just going to ask the, where did they go? Did they disappear on me? Or are they behind the curtains? Ready? <laughs> Ta-da! I'm going to have the worship team come out and just start playing. <laughs> I love this. Is it okay that we're just this raw and family-like? Okay, good, because... I'm not a stuffy person, but sometimes I feel no. like. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes people convince me that you have to sacrifice uniqueness for effectiveness, but I don't believe that. So, so as they begin to play, we're just going to go into some ministry because you know we can't leave here without hearing what the Lord wants to do. Because what what fun would that be? Thank you. Cute. In 2 Peter 1.4, it says that we are a partaker of a divine nature. So like a tree bears fruit from the seed which it draws, the fruit in our lives bears evidence of who we are on the inside. So as God has placed the divine nature of Christ in you, the fruit in our lives is evidence that what he says is true. So when you're walking through circumstances and challenges of life, we can either see them as a constant attack of the enemy and trying to find a way to get away from it, or we can say, God, show me in this who you are and raise me up to be who I am in you through this. Because the only way to give is to receive first. So if we're constantly trying to skirt all of our problems in life, and just figure out how to fix them without asking the Lord to produce in us greater measures of who we are, how are we to give out? Because then we're constantly stuck in that place of saying, well, I'm going through this all the time too, so I don't know how to minister or be light and love to others. In Matthew 6.33, Jesus gave the answer. He gave the answer for pretty much anything in your life that you're ever going to need. He said, seek first the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And everything else will be added to you. Everything else. Anything that you can think of even here and now that maybe you brought in thinking, what am I going to do about this thing? His word says he is Jehovah Jireh. He is the provider. The provision is already there. El Shaddai means the Lord God Almighty. And it actually is, what metaphorically means a nursing mother. So any of you in this room who have ever nursed a baby know that when you are nursing and that baby even cries a little bit, you are ready to provide. And maybe more so than you want to. But overflowing. It's there. You don't have to do anything. It's just there. And that is the provision of God. As we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, everything else is added unto us. So remember that you, you are what the Bible talks about. You were created for greatness. You were created to walk in the works that God set beforehand 
before the foundations of the earth even. So we are all called to give what we have inside of us and not just anything, but the authentic power of God that's in you. But we first must come to a place that we can be discipled, be cleansed, be healed, and receive what God has for us so that we can give it out. Let's stand and and, uh, just pray and see what the Lord wants to do here.